Hey, friendly reminder, this podcast is not for kids or people who have a stick up their ass. Friday, 5.58 p.m. I'm sleeping with my best friend's husband. I think my uncle killed someone in I his think suicide. I am I a sugar baby. Mom addicted to Adderall. I think I my sister is my actually my uncle's kid. My What's your secret? Welcome back to another week of Beyond the Secret. My name is Ace Fanning, and I am back again. I almost missed the deadline for November, and I apologize. It has been a crazy month. But here I am on the last day of November with a new story for you. But before we get to that, If you have a secret you want to share on the podcast, just send me an email to beyondthesecretpodcast at gmail.com or feel free to shoot me a DM on Instagram at beyondthesecretpodcast. Also, if you love Beyond the Secret, I would love you even more than I already do if you would take a quick minute to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcast. And if you hate Beyond the Secret, then why are you listening right now? Just go away. No review is required, and I am way too fragile to hear why you don't love this show. So just go away. Don't do anything. (laughs) And finally, if you miss your weekly dose of Beyond the Secret, you can have it all for just $10 a month on Patreon. Weekly episodes plus bonus content. And tonight, for the first time in a very long time, I have recorded another installment of Secrets and Scandals. Listen as I dive into the case of the Tout family murders. You can sign up at patreon.com slash beyond the secret podcast. And now, on to the reason that you are really here. This week's secret is a tough one, for sure. This is a story that will absolutely break your heart. But I hope this story does more then just break your heart. I hope this story can push people to have those hard conversations they've been avoiding. Because trust me when I say, I know how difficult it can be to be there for someone who you feel doesn't want you there. But in those times, we are exactly who they need. And so I hope this story can push people to really listen without judgment because sometimes that's all anyone needs. Not someone to fix them, just someone to listen. This week's secret, Missing My Daughter Jade, Part 1. Tell me about yourself. Well, I'm uh, 47 years old. I had two daughters, 
I'm, I'm married and I live in the UK. Uh, I was born in Sydney, Australia, to Scottish parents. And we grew up in Australia until I was nearly 18 years old when my parents decided that they would like to move back to the UK. Uh, so as a teenager, I came over here and uh, I've had a few different careers over the years. And uh, I like to work out. I'm quite into fitness and things like that and uh, health. And I like to socialize sometimes. <laughs> and I like to have a good laugh as well. Tell me about your daughter. So my eldest daughter is called Jade. I had her when I was 25 years old. Uh, her father and I were not matched at all. We were not a good match. We had been together about a year, a year and a half, I think, when Jade was born. And by the time she was six months old, her father and I had split up. We just weren't right for each other. Completely different people. Although we did have things in common um, and we did enjoy each other's company, we just weren't right for each other. Although uh, her father and I split out when she was just a baby, he stayed in contact with her and he uh, was part of her life all the way through her, her growing up. She is a, a girl who's very funny. She was witty, um, but she was shy. She was quite gentle. When she was young at school, she was one of these kids who didn't really push in. She let other kids push her out the way and she would hang back and she was quite quiet. But once she got to know you or once she felt comfortable in a situation, she was a, a really fun person to have around. She was a good, really good laugh and really funny. And she was creative. She loved to draw and paint. And we used to have a really good time when she was young. Um, when she was five years old, I met my current husband and the three of us became a family. And, uh, Jade and her stepfather got on very well together. And uh, as I said, we were very happy for, for a lot of years. And um, when Jade was 12, her little sister was born. My husband and I had a baby together. And uh, obviously that was a big change for her because she was, she'd had me and her stepfather to herself for 12 years. And uh, when her little sister was born, she adored her little sister, but she soon realized that she had to share me with her and like most older siblings she was a wee bit jealous but other things happened as well at the time I didn't realize she started high school and it didn't go too well she was getting bullied at school I didn't realize that this was happening I could see that she was struggling and that she wasn't happy but she didn't tell me what was wrong and after she'd been in high school for a couple of years, I found out that she'd started self-harming. And that's when I realized that she had a problem. She became friendly with some other girls who were also self-harming and they all sort of encouraged each other to do it. Unfortunately, my daughter actually kept doing it. After the rest of them stopped, she actually became addicted to it. And uh, as I found out, Years later, she was being bullied quite badly, and obviously the self-harm was her coping mechanism. But at the time, I didn't see it that way, neither did her stepfather. We, I, unfortunately, I think I was angry at her for doing it, and I really regret that now. So eventually we found out that 
she was not happy at school and that she was in the, with the wrong crowd. And so I took her out of that high school and put her in another one uh, nearby. And she was there for a year or so and things were okay. But then she again started to become unhappy. Uh, she started skipping school. I was getting phone calls from the the teacher to tell me that she had not arrived at school and no one knew where she was. And it came to, it all came out that she was now getting bullied at the new school as well. I think she was a sensitive girl. As I said, she was quiet and maybe an easy target for bullies. She was, she was a beautiful girl. She was very pretty. She, as I said, she was funny. She did have a lot of friends, you know, she had a lot of friends, but there was a lot going on that I wasn't aware of at the time. And uh, then she started smoking and getting smoking pot. She came home drunk, all the usual things that kids do uh, when there's something wrong. I thought it was just her hormones. Other people in the family said, you know, she's all right. She's, it's just her hormones. She'll grow out of it. Um, I had tried to get her help quite a few times, been to the doc, taking her to the doctors, taking her to the child and adolescent mental health services. Um, I used to find that when I took her to see these health professionals, the first thing they would do was tell me to leave and they would speak to her alone. And she was not willing to engage with any help at all at that stage. Because she wouldn't help herself, there really wasn't anything that anyone else could do for her, you know. When she was 15, she was truanting from school continuously. She just wouldn't go to school anymore. And then she told me about how bad the bullying really was. That was the first I knew about how bad it really was. One day she went back to school and one of the boys in the year above her picked up a big bit of ice. It was winter. Picked up a big bit of ice off the side of the road and threw it and hit her in the head with it. Uh, When Jade told me that, I decided enough was enough. And I took her out of school. She was 15 years old. And I thought, I'm not going to send her to school because she's not safe. And although we had tried to get help from the teachers, they had put in only a token effort, really, to help her, to protect her from the bullies. And she wasn't being protected. So because of the bullies, my daughter failed to get an education, basically. She didn't do any of her exams. So uh, she left school with no qualifications. She couldn't go to college because she hadn't finished her exams at high school. And she just went right off the rails after that. And she was hanging out with a bad crowd. I couldn't control her. She was very headstrong. She would go out and do her thing or she would go missing. I can remember having the police out looking for her plenty of times. She was just doing what she wanted to do. And at the time, it drove us crazy. But now I realize why, you know, she was hurting so bad from years of being bullied. Her self-esteem was gone. And I think when that happens to a person, it's very difficult for them to recover from that. I'm not saying that it's not possible, but I think it takes a long time and a lot of work. And at this stage, she was not in any way inclined to help herself. One day she came home and her pupils were massive. She was 15 at the time. And I knew straight away just from looking at her that she'd been taking uh, ecstasy. You could see it straight away in her face. 
when that happened, I really got scared when I saw that she'd started. I mean, I knew that she'd been smoking weed and drinking and smoking fags. Uh, but her father, years before, had spent time locked up in a mental hospital or a psychiatric hospital because he has bipolar disorder. And that was brought on by drug abuse as well. So when I saw that Jade had started on the hard drugs, my biggest fear was that her mental health would decline if she had inherited that tendency from her father. So I thought, right, I need to get her away from these people that she's associating with. So thinking it was the best thing, I sent her to live with her father in a different city, three hours drive away from where we are. Uh, she went down there and straight away she found a new crowd of kids that were even worse than the one that she'd been involved with at home. And so now she had access to much more drugs, all different types of drugs. And the following few years were uh, really stressful and really traumatic for everyone in the family. She had good times. There was times where she wasn't taking drugs. When she was good, she was good. But then when she, if she started, she was taking everything. She was taking a lot of ecstasy, pretty much anything she could get her hands on, I think, speed, cocaine. And she wasn't, uh, she didn't try to hide it from us that much. She did a bit, but it was so obvious. She was very small in stature. She was diminutive. Um, and so she didn't handle these drugs very well. And one day she was given some Xanax by a friend. In this country, Xanax isn't prescribed as far as I know. It's not a big thing. The people that, that take Xanax in this country are people who are abusing it. You know, they get it on the street. They don't normally get it from their doctors. And so she was introduced to Xanax. And when that happened, a switch went off in her head. And she was never the same again after that. I want to go back to when Jade was first going through high school and dealing with the bullying. And, and before you even knew what she was going through, were there changes that you saw in her personality that now looking back, it makes sense, but at the time you just maybe weren't quite picking up on? Absolutely. I mean, it was her 13th birthday when things just changed. I mean, I know now that actually she was being bullied since she was in primary school, since about the age of nine or 10. But it wasn't, initially, it wasn't the sort of bullying where, you know, you're pushing and shoving in the playground or it was more of a subtle, insidious bullying that was happening with the other girls in her class. You know, they weren't, overtly nasty or mean to her but they would sneakily exclude her from things or they would say things to make her feel bad about herself you know and she would come home from school she would just you could see there was something that wasn't right I would say to her how was school and she would look at the floor and say fine and then just go into her room and stay in her room and I tried so hard you know and the, like I was completely unprepared. I had no idea. You know, I, I blame myself a lot for not helping her as much as I should have at the time, but I just didn't know. You know, I didn't realize. And she would have uh, rages. She would get very angry sometimes, sometimes out of the blue for no reason, no obvious reason, I should say. 
which just made me and her stepfather think, oh, it's just uh, hormones, you know, teenager, 13, moody. But it was more than that. I realize that now. I can't speak for everyone when it comes to being bullied, but hearing you say that you blame yourself, you can't blame yourself because what you have to understand is that when you're dealing with bullying, it's so hard to tell somebody what you're going through because there is such a sense of like almost like you feel like embarrassed and you feel almost like a failure because why are these people picking on me like what what Mm. is so inherently wrong with me and then to try and open up and speak about that is so difficult and so many parents out there I think have no idea what their kids are going through at school and they think that their kid is just being moody or they're being closed off but the reality is there's there's something and they either don't know how to communicate that to you or they're embarrassed to communicate it or they're Mm -hmm. afraid to communicate it yeah you've shown real insight there actually because years later when she did talk to me about it she said I didn't even really notice it was happening, you know, because she was so young when it started. And as I said, it was quite insidious. It wasn't overt. It was very subtle. You know, girls can be a lot meaner when they bully people than boys. And yeah, you're right. I think at first she just, it was so gradual as well. You know, she started to think less and less of herself over a long period of time. And she, she didn't tell me about it, like you say, because it probably wasn't that easy for her to tell me about it. And another thing is, I mean, my love for Jade is so strong. And just like any parent, the thought of someone hurting your child is really unbearable. And I think she could sense that if she told me what was going on as it got worse, that it would upset me too much, you know, and she didn't want me to be upset because she, she cared about my feelings and she didn't want me to hurt like she was hurting. And it is really difficult, especially at that age of 13, because there are hormone changes in their body and they're going through puberty and there's a lot of stuff happening. And I think for a parent, it's hard to decipher what it is. But I also think that for the child, it's it's hard to know what all of these things are coming at you. I growing up i felt like for a long time that there was something wrong with me and mm-hmm. later i came to find out that i struggle with depression and mm-hmm. you know we have very limited experience at young ages and therefore we can't always put words to feelings and we we end up going inward and we end up closing ourselves off from those around us and mm-hmm. it sounds like that's probably something Jade was doing. Definitely. You've, yeah, you've got it completely right there. That's what she was doing. She couldn't find the words. And I mean, that became a pattern as she got older. She was never one for really addressing difficult issues. She would much rather ignore them, um, which is probably what a lot of people do. But yeah, so that that was very traumatic. She was going through a lot of trauma. And I wasn't really, when I was a child, I had a good upbringing. I'd, I have a good family, but uh, in our family, we don't really, if, if, if you're upset, you're told to be quiet or, oh, don't be silly. It's not that bad, 
you know, or, or what you're crying for. Stop making a big fuss. That's that's how it was when I was growing up. So when Jade was upset about things, I'm guilty that I probably said that to her. You know, even when she was a really small, stop crying, stop whinging, you're fine. You know, rather than validating her feelings, I hated it if she was upset. I couldn't stand to see her upset. And at that time when she was growing up, I didn't give her the skills to deal with her emotions because I wasn't really given them myself. I mean, I only know this now through therapy, you know, like I've always thought I should have validated her emotions and made her like sat down and talked to her about her feelings and gave her coping skills for her feelings. I didn't do that and I blame myself for that, but through therapy, I realized that's because when I was growing up, I wasn't given any tools to deal with my emotions either. And actually, I I was a difficult, troubled teenager too. But yeah, so she wasn't given the, the tools that she needed to deal with all these terrible feelings. So she just pushed them aside. But of course, as we all know, I think all of us, as we get older, we realize that you can't do that. Your feelings need to be heard and someone needs to hear them and you need to express them or else they cause uh, behaviors that can be very destructive. So as I said, over the years, like she was, she did get, she got a job eventually. She had a boyfriend, you know, there was times where she was doing well, but anytime something came along upsetting, you know, when you're, when you're young and you're a, a young adult or a, a teenager, there's lots of, emotional bumps in the road with relationships and jobs and all sorts and anytime she hit a bump she would fall down and the drug abuse would start again when she was around the age of I think she was 18 she got caught for shoplifting when she was on she was really high on Xanax she was taking a lot of it you know when she was taking it she wasn't always taking Xanax but she would go on a Xanax binge and uh, have a lot of it at, at a time. And uh, she was caught shoplifting and reported to the police. As a result of that, rather than being prosecuted for shoplifting, because uh, she was a young person, she was sent on a diversion, a diversion from prosecution scheme. I'm not sure if they have that where you guys are. They probably do, but basically it was rather than being prosecuted for the crime, she was given counseling and she was forced to attend counseling twice a week for, I think it was three months. And actually that turned out to be quite a positive thing for her. She really engaged with it because by the time she was 18, she realized she needed help. She didn't, she wanted to be better, you know, she wanted to have a good life. And so this scheme actually did help her and she did engage with counseling and therapy and all the rest of it. And as part of that therapy, a psychiatric nurse got in touch with me um, at the local psychiatric hospital, which is about a 40-minute drive from where we live. And he, he wanted to speak to me. For the first time, a health professional actually wanted to speak to me about Jade, rather than what would normally happen was I would take her to see a doctor or a counsellor and I'd be asked to leave the room, as I said, straight away. And they wouldn't really take my side of things on board. They wouldn't ask me anything about Jade. Uh, and also, after she became 16 years of, old, years of age, I had no legal right to um, know anything about her medical 
care or anything like that unless she gave consent. Anyway, this guy spoke to me with her consent. And I'd say a, a year or so previous to meeting this psychiatric nurse, I had read about an illness or a personality disorder called borderline personality disorder. Uh, I just happened to come across it when I was scrolling on the internet one time. And I read up the symptoms of borderline personality disorder or BPD, as it's more commonly known. And all the alarm bells went off in my head. I realized, you know, I just knew that was what was wrong with her. And I actually introduced this idea to her and she agreed. And then when I spoke to the psychiatric nurse at the hospital, it was meant to just be a half hour meeting, but it turned out to like an hour and a half. And by the end of that meeting, he was also convinced. And so not long after that, she was formally diagnosed by her psychiatrist as having borderline personality disorder. It's a terrible, terrible disorder. And when it's characterized, as you may know or may, may not know, it's characterized by strong emotions. It's also called emotionally unstable personality disorder. And that's what she was, you know, as she got older, it was the, we think it was the trauma of the bullying that triggered it. She was probably born with a tendency towards it. I think I may have traits of it myself. Uh, so I don't think it was one reason that she got it. I think it was a combination of factors, genetic factors, uh, the bullying, and also me not validating her emotions when she was young that caused her to develop this terrible personality disorder. And she was using drugs as a way to self-medicate. Do you remember the first time that you discovered Jade was self-harming? I do. It was in our house. She was about 15. And I saw the inside of her wrist had loads of scratches on it, cuts, you know. And I just went ballistic. I went mental at her. I started yelling at her, what are you doing that for? That's such a stupid thing to do. Her stepfather was saying, look what you've done. You've broken your mom's heart. This is ridiculous. You shouldn't be doing this. I, we were just blaming her for it. Instead of seeing it as for what it was, as a, a signal that she was in severe distress. Because when she was going through the stage, it seemed to be uh, kind of a, a fashionable thing to do because emos were really big at the time. She became an emo, you know, the black hair and black make, eye makeup and all that sort of thing. And all, loads of the girls in her school were doing it all at once. So we just thought she was doing it to fit in with the other girls, which I think initially she was. But then, I think I said already, she after she start, started doing it, she realized it was helping her to calm, calm down when she was emotionally overwhelmed. So, yeah, I think, that, and it was the next day I phoned up our local health center and made an appointment with the doctor. I can remember crying on the phone to the receptionist saying that my daughter's self-harming, you know. Uh, and we took her to the, I took her to the doctor, but as I said earlier, they didn't help. They couldn't help because she was so closed off. She, she didn't want to help herself. So no therapy in the world is going to help someone that doesn't want to help themselves. I think that self-harming is something a lot of people can't understand because it's something they've never dealt with themselves. What I think people need to understand about it is that 
a lot of times a person who turns to self-harming, they're looking for, just as you said it, like that release because mm-hmm. there is so much pent up in a person that, you know, and, and hearing Jade's story and, and knowing that she wasn't opening up to you, that means that all of those feelings just stayed inside of her and they build mm-hmm. up and they boil and they, they, they rise to the top. And at some point, you just have to let some of that steam off. And it's it's mixed with a lot of self-hatred. And so you get this release, but you also get this opportunity to kind of be in control of hurting yourself when, when so mm-hmm. many outside forces are the ones hurting you. And you're finally like, I get to be in control of this. It's It is something that is very difficult for people to comprehend, but it's another coping mechanism, just like people who use drugs or alcohol or sex or whatever it might be. That is Mm -hmm. what self-harming does for a person. Oh yeah. I realize that now I've learned a lot (laughs) since then about things like that a lot. I have looked into it a lot and I do understand it a lot better, but I just didn't at the time. And I also remember that the self-harming, stopped when she started smoking weed so to be honest when she started smoking weed I was just I'd rather she did that than cut herself Uh, so I didn't fight against it too much the weed smoking you know I mean I didn't like say yeah go ahead and do it but I didn't I was just glad that she stopped self-harming over the years she did return to it a few times when she hit a major bump in the road she did cut herself again she had scars on her thighs and around her hips and all that. But, you know, it just the smoking the weed and, and smoking cigarettes that she just that was that that's also a form of self-harm, but slightly more socially acceptable, I think. Once you discovered the bullying that Jade was enduring at school, how did the conversation look between the two of you? We weren't on the best of terms at that time, really. We were very much at each other's throats. We were arguing a lot because of her behavior, because she was skipping school, she was smoking, she was coming home drunk. She was dyeing her hair every single color under the sun to the point where it started falling out. And she had a terrible attitude. You know, I don't blame her for any of that stuff now, because now I've got a much better insight. But at the time, I just thought she was evil, <laughs> like, and she was, it wasn't just me, it was, you know, up until all this happened, started happening when she was 13, we had a happy home, you know, we, there was a lot of laughter, we went on great holidays, we had fun days out together, it was a wonderful, great atmosphere in our house, and as Jay's problems started to get worse, the atmosphere became very bad in our house, it was fraught. You know, it was a fraught atmosphere. You never knew when she was going to fly into a rage or there was physical violence on her part. And I'm ashamed to say on my part as well, there was one day, like I said, that I wasn't too bothered about her smoking weed. But what really bothered me was smoking cigarettes as an ex-smoker myself. I'm one of these born again ex-smokers. I really, really hate uh, cigarettes. And uh, one day. We were at home, just the two of us. Everyone else was out, and 
I could smell tobacco smoke coming from her room. And I went in the room and I says, I know you've been smoking. And she was sitting on her bed and she just looked at me and stuck her middle finger at me and said, fuck you. And I lost it. I, uh, I'm really ashamed to say that I punched her about 10 times after that. And then she jumped out the window and ran away. And that was one of the worst days of my life. It still is. Uh, so, yeah, the conversation between us was pretty bad at that stage. I want to ask you something, and it might be a sensitive question. When all of this was going on with Jade and there's this shift in your household and, you know, you went from this happy house to this now house just full of angst and anger and um, emotion, was there any part of you that held animosity towards Jade for that shift in your home? Oh, yes, definitely. Hugely, yeah. Well, I mean, again, at the time, I don't, I didn't have the insight that I've got now. I mean, by the time I realized how bad things had got at school, she'd stopped going to school and she'd started taking hard drugs. And yeah, I mean, I ne- I've never stopped loving her. She did some terrible things. I did some terrible things. And there's times when she was so bad with the drugs that I just, I actually tried twice to walk away from her because there was so much pain and so much disruption. And she has a little sister. And I was scared that this was going to affect her little sister in a bad way as well. I was trying to protect her. That's why I, I, I made her go and live with her father. And then also on her 18th birthday, she was staying here at the time in our house. And I had thrown a family party for her and invited family friends and family. Uh, I hadn't invited any of the people that she would normally take drugs with and I knew exactly who they were. So I didn't want those people in my house. So she stayed in her bedroom the whole time and didn't even participate. But the day after, my husband and I woke up in the morning. Uh, we went to go, we've, we've got a small gym at the back of our house. So we went to the gym to do our workout, opened the door and here she is with a bunch of her mates. She brought in all these druggies and they were sitting in our gym all getting wasted and they'd been up all night snorting things and taking pills and whatever in our house. And that was like, that was one of the final straws, you know. That was when I thought she has no respect for us, she doesn't care what she does to us, which is what drug addicts are like, you know. They, they're selfish. So I threw her out. I said, right, that's it. I've had enough. You can go. Uh, I locked her out of the house. And for one month, she went on a, a Valium bender. She just, she, she was accepted to a council accommodation for a homeless person where she promptly hooked up with a bunch of other druggies and spent a whole month throwing street Valium down her neck. After a month, I couldn't bear it anymore, and I went and found her and took her home. There was a couple of times where I really did try and wash my hands of her, but I just couldn't. You know, any mother or father will tell you that. Regardless of what your child does to you and your family and to themselves, you cannot stop loving them and you cannot stop caring about them no matter what, 
you know. Once Jade moved to her father's house, what did the relationship and communication look like between the two of you? Uh, so initially, it was non-existent. Uh, we did try and visit her. We went to see her. She refused to see us because it was her 16th birthday and we went to see her and we bought her presents, but she just refused to see her. She blocked me on social media. She wouldn't take any of her messages and my calls. So there was a few months where I had no idea what was going on in her life. I, I got a little bit of information from her father, but not much. And that was a terrible time. It was a terrible time, not knowing if your child's alive or dead. Or she was, I mean, she was only 16. She was so young. And then after a few months of this awful, it's like in that situation, it's like you've got a cloud over your head and it just it follows you everywhere. It doesn't matter what you do or what you're thinking about. This cloud is always there. I heard someone say that a mother can only be as happy as her unhappiest child. And I totally relate to that. Uh, so one day out of the blue, I got a ping on my phone. She had reconnected with me on Facebook Messenger and sent me a message to say that she needed help. To be honest, I can't even remember what it was she wanted help with, but the fact that she came to me when she needed help, I was ecstatic. From that day onwards, I was falling over myself to do anything I could. I would send her money, I would book her a bus ticket home, and gradually we did get back on good terms. Uh, I remember I went to see her, and at that time, she was doing nothing. She wasn't at school. She didn't have a job. So I actually got her enrolled in a college course. And she went to that college course. And I had to bribe her to go to it. I paid her every week. I would, at the end of the week, if I, if I knew she'd been at college, I would put a little bit of money in her bank to see her through. And she managed to finish the course. And by the time she finished, it was only a six-month course. It was like an employability course. Because as I said, she hadn't done her exams. She had no qualifications. But this course was to help her to become employable. And it did. And she did end up getting a job. And things got a lot better for a while. And so actually we became really close. And she did come home as well. Yeah, I mean, over those few years, we were always close. But whenever she was using or abusing drugs, that's when there would be major problems in our relationship. And our relationship was up and down, but we were always very close. And she would always tell me everything as well. She didn't used to hide things from me really after that, you know. As she got older, she would tell me a lot of stuff. Some of the stuff I didn't want to know that she'd been up to. But So our relationship definitely got better and better as the years went on. Whenever things would get better, would you almost like hold your breath and hope that they would stay better? Or was there always kind of this dark cloud around it that you knew this can't last forever? So at first, like the cloud went right away when she first started getting better. After she finished doing that little college course and she got a job and she got a boyfriend and she was a lot happier and she stopped using as well for a while. We all, myself, my husband, everyone in the family thought, ah, oh, she's finally turned a corner. She's got better, you know. This is her now. She's going to be all right. So for a while, the first time she started to improve, the cloud went away and we all thought, right, she's through the worst of it now. She's getting her life back on track. But then 
again, she hit a bump in the road. I think she she wasn't doing very well in the job she was in, and that put her down again. And she went to visit her friend in the city where her father lived, and that's when she came in contact with Xanax. And so after that initial improvement, when she fell down again, after that, it was like that. Yeah, it was, oh, she's better, but she'll probably get worse again. Or, you know, then we started to realize that this wasn't going to go away as quickly as we thought. When she started taking Xanax, how did that change her life and the things that she was doing? The Xanax, as as you may know, I, I believe it's a very addictive drug. It changed something in her mind. I actually found one of her diaries where she wrote about the first time she tried it. And she wrote herself after that day. She was never the same person. When she was taking it, she was just an absolute train wreck. I mean, as I said, she got caught shoplifting. She would steal. She would have violent outbursts. She got thrown out of her dad's house because she attacked him physically and he threw her out. Um, she would. She was nasty to her little sister, horrible to her little sister, horrible to us. And you could tell, like, you wouldn't want to leave her in the house by herself because she, she would be going through your stuff, stealing. Or at night time, if everyone else was in bed, if she was awake, you couldn't sleep because you were worried that she was going to hurt herself or do something dangerous in the house. It was absolutely terrifying. It really was. Um, but she wasn't always on Xanax. Like I said, she would go off it and fight her urges. She really did try not to do it, you know, and not, not just the Xanax, also uh, Street Valium, which is the same thing as Xanax, but not as strong, I think. She told me, she says, even though I know I shouldn't do it, there's always something there inside me telling me to do it. It just changed something in her brain. What events led to Jade's last fall into the darkness? So I think it was about the beginning of October in 2018. And I remember meeting her for a coffee. And she was doing well. She was in good form. She, she'd she moved out of our house and she was staying in a house with some other people. She was paying her own rent. She was working full time. She was clean. She had a new boyfriend. She, she was really happy. She's probably the happiest I'd ever seen her since before all her problems started. And uh, I remember her saying to me when I met her in Costa, that she she was the best she'd ever been in her life. And also she was getting treatment for her borderline personality disorder. She was attending a course, a weekly course, um, and she was really engaging in it. She was really trying, you know, you could see she felt better in herself and she felt as if she was capable of turning her life around. You know, it was the best she'd ever been. So that was great. And then... I don't know how long later, maybe two weeks after that, uh, she sent me a text to tell me that she was pregnant. She was 19 years old at this point, pregnant to the boyfriend that she'd been with for about six months, maybe not that long, five, four or five months. And actually, when I got that text, I wasn't even shocked because she'd done everything else that you could do. <laughs> and to be honest, when I was that age, I, I did all that sort of thing as well. I, I made every mistake in the book, almost. And uh, she was just working her way through all the mistakes. So when I got that text, I wasn't surprised. 
Um, but then she followed up with, don't worry, I'm going to get rid of it. And I texted her back saying, good, because there was no way. She was she couldn't be a mother. She she was uh, smoking weed every day, cigarettes, she was drinking. You know, she wasn't taking any drugs at that point. But and also because of her, her BPD, she wasn't there. Was, she knew herself she wasn't fit to be a mother. And I agreed that she should have a termination. And it turns out that that was that's when the downward spiral into the darkness happens because she was. I came with her on the day to have the termination. She was about I think eight weeks along at that point, and uh, our health service has figured out the national health service when you have a termination of pregnancy these days. It's a lot less expensive to do um, a termination where that's brought on by taking some tablets rather than doing a surgical procedure that they used to do. So I believe in the years past when someone had a termination of pregnancy, they would be put under general anaesthetic and they would have a, an, a medical procedure to remove the fetus and the womb lining. But... And these days it's cheaper just to give a woman some tablets to take in her own home and let uh, the miscarriage happen. Now, because Jade was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder or emotionally unstable personality disorder, the health professionals decided that it would not be a good idea for her to do that at home, um, that she should have it done in the hospital just to be supervised. So I took her to the hospital. We spent that day together and we talked that day a lot. She was in her room. I was with her. We were together in a private room and the, uh, the nurses came in and gave her some tablets and the nurses were very cold towards her, very uncaring. And I guess that might have been them being judgmental about the fact that she was terminating a pregnancy. That's the feeling we got, you know. And while we were waiting for the tablets to start working, we talked a lot and we cleared the air about so many things. She always thought that I didn't really want her because her parents, myself and her father, were so badly mismatched as a couple that affected her identity. She didn't know who she was, she, I mean, sometimes, one of the things she said to me once, why did you fuck my dad? I shouldn't have been born. Why did you have me? These were the sort of things that she would say. But on that day in the hospital, we talked, and I told her about how I'd loved her from the minute I saw that positive pregnancy test. I fell in, instantly in love with her. I'd always wanted her. And she actually, for the first time, she believed me. She realized how badly I wanted she was. She was always wanted and I always loved her. And I was able to tell her that. And I was also able to apologize to her for not validating her emotions when she was young. I, was, I apologized to her for not helping her to cope with negative emotions. And she accepted that apology. And I said to her, I think that's why you got BPD, because I didn't 
validate your emotions. And she sort of agreed, but then she says, nah, really, Mum, I think what it was was the bullies. The bullies are what, what caused me to be like this because of the way it affected her self-esteem. You know, the trauma, that sort of trauma has a, an effect on a developing brain. So we really cleared the air that day. And now I realise that that day, the universe gave me that day because I got to say everything and she got to say everything to me. And I'm so lucky because six weeks later she was dead. personality disorder is a condition characterized by difficulties regulating emotion. This means that people who experience BPD feel emotions intensely and for extended periods of time, and it is much harder for them to return to a stable baseline after an emotionally triggering event. This difficulty can lead to impulsivity, poor self-image, stormy relationships, and intense emotional responses to stressors. Struggling with self-regulation can also result in dangerous behaviors, such as self-harm. And it is estimated that 1.4% of the adult U.S. population experiences BPD. And nearly 75% of people diagnosed with BPD are women. I am telling you this not for you to self-diagnose, much like I would do whenever I hear about a mental illness that seems to describe how I feel, but instead to try and shine a light on mental health. Because so often when we struggle to act and feel like everyone around us, we feel this sense of shame about who we are. Personally, I have spent the majority of my 31 years feeling like I am broken because I don't feel that I operate the way everyone around me does. I've felt embarrassed. I've felt ashamed. I have felt angered. I have felt so much self-hatred. I felt everything when it comes to the way my emotions pour out of me without the ability to regulate them. But I know that I'm not alone and I know that I'm not broken. I would say, without any sort of facts to back it up, that more people nowadays struggle with their mental health than those who don't. And so, We have to learn to give grace to ourselves and to others because we are all just doing our best. Even if it doesn't seem like it, even if it doesn't feel like it, we are. Thank you so much for being here and listening. I will see all of you next week.
everybody has a secret.